tell the story that we bring our text from today, 2 Kings chapter number 4. I want you to keep your Bible open. We'll refer a few times to different uh, verses here. We may go to a, a passage or two in other places, but primarily we will be here uh, for the entire text. It is the story of the prophet Elisha. Now, you know that there were two men, uh, Elijah and Elisha, that were both prophets of God uh, to the nation of Israel. And uh, obviously, we know that Elijah was a great man of God. We think about uh, Mount Carmel, and we think about all the, the great victories there and the prophets of Baal. Well, Elijah passes off the scene, and he is succeeded by a man named Elisha. Elisha had kind of been a servant to Elijah, we could say it that way, ministered to him. Uh, kind of a preacher boy type of situation, maybe a, a Paul Timothy type situation. And we do know that Elisha was used of God in an amazing way. Little little uh, fun fact here, Elisha actually, because he asked for a double portion, remember that story, a double portion of the power of the Spirit that Elijah had, Elisha actually performed twice as many miracles as Elijah did. And again, we know these men did not do this in their own power, but rather in the power of God. But God brought them to the nation of Israel for certain reasons, and obviously in their preaching and what we would say they're prophesying, trying to bring the nation back to God. We find as we read through the book of Kings and Chronicles that there sometimes are little stories, just kind of little, little standalone things that kind of just maybe happen in passing, we might say. Uh, just seems like that story, you know, why is that story there? Obviously, we find in chapter number four, there's a story of a, a man that is attending what, what was called the school of the prophets. As I mentioned a moment ago, Elijah and Elisha kind of had that mentoring uh, relationship together. But Elisha had a, uh, a college. The word college is actually found two times in our Bible uh, in this context here, the school of the prophets. It's where a young man would go. And in this instance, a married man with two sons. And, and he's there, maybe what we would say, studying for the ministry. And may I just parenthesize a little bit and tell you a little bit of what God's opened up in my heart and life to do. I did not know or realize that I would, number one, have the opportunity to teach in a Bible college when I resigned here a year ago. Uh, that was not uh, even discussed. It wasn't even brought up for months until I got over there. I got to teach last fall ministry ethics to preacher boys and then this, uh, this semester teaching pastoral counseling. And uh, I did not know that I would love teaching Bible college like I am and uh, just enjoying that again, a way to, to invest in the younger generation. And that's a little bit of what's happening here in this story. And the Bible says that this man, one of the sons of the prophets, has died. Now that's serious. This is a man, the Bible says, leaves a wife and two sons. It's a very, very serious situation. We do know that he was a very good man. He, number one, he's, he's training for the ministry, what we would call the ministry. He, he is serving the men of God, the prophets there. He has very obedient sons, as we will find out in the story. He is a very close friend with Elisha, one of God's chosen men. They have a, a sweet relationship there. This is a man who is doing seemingly all the right things. In fact, look at verse number one. The Bible says that thy servant did fear the Lord. So obviously we know that this is a man that is serving God with his life. And for whatever reason, God allows him to die. How many of you in, in your life, you, you can think of somebody, maybe family or maybe friend, 
Maybe someone in the ministry, kind of like this story, but it seems as if they died or passed away what we would say prematurely before the natural course of life. How many can think of somebody like that? And obviously it kind of shakes your world, doesn't it? Well, can you only imagine how it shaked the world of this woman that is now left as a widow? And she has two sons. And to be quite honest, and, and here's a part of the message as I'm laying the foundation before I give you the, the, the title of my message this morning. It seems as if that he has left her in dire straits financially. In fact, she looks around and realizes, now that my husband is gone, and maybe we would say he was the breadwinner, and and here I am now, a widow woman, and and two sons. And How many of you know the Bible talks about how the the Father, God the Father, pays special attention, though, to the widows and those that are fatherless? Amen? And don't you know that God, and I'm thinking back a few years ago, and many of you that are new won't remember this, but I remember when Charlie uh, Briggs died in a terrible uh, accident, got run over by a dump truck in a snowstorm. We had his funeral right here. And then uh, he leaves a little boy that was seven years old named Stephen. And Stephen is left without a daddy and now a mama. And then five years later, Marilyn Briggs passes away. And we had her service right here. It doesn't seem fair that God would do that. But oh, how good Stephen is doing right now as a 14-year-old boy. I just talked to him a couple of weeks ago and I was the executor of the, of the estate for Marilyn and, and just overseeing all of his affairs. And he's in a great family there. And they live in Kentucky and they're serving the Lord. This boy wants to go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ when he gets uh, to be an adult. Don't tell me God isn't going to use what that boy has experienced for something really good in the future. Amen. We don't understand sometimes why God does what he does, but we're going to find that there is something that takes place in this wife's, this widow's mind and heart and life and in the lives of her two boys by God using seemingly something that was very, very tragic. And so she's left with debts that she could not pay. The story says that there were creditors that were going to come and take really everything that she had. And she did not know where to turn. My two sons, are they going to be taken as servants to go work off the debt? That was obviously something that happened in Bible days. Can you only imagine if you had, let's say, teenage sons? Can you imagine? Because you can't pay your debt and your husband has died. Your boys go now and work as a slave probably in terrible circumstances, to pay that debt off. She didn't know where to turn. Now, obviously, this sermon is not about money. It's not about uh, uh, using money wisely or not going into debt. Although, for whatever reason, the situation is such. And I think that we all need to have Bible wisdom about that, to be careful of the materialism of our day. And yes, we are supposed to care for our family not only during, but after death. And it may be even as the new year is upon us, a, a brand new resolution has been made. Maybe some of you say, I'm going to get out of debt this year, and, and I'm going to pay my bills this year, and, and maybe I'm going to uh, upgrade my job or kind of pray for a different job. I don't know what it is that, that God is using financially in your life, but obviously we always need to be putting Bible principles into place. But what do you do when a situation like this takes place that is completely and totally out of your control? To whom... Do you turn? This morning, I'd like to speak to you on the subject. Here's the title of my message, Living Beyond Your Means. 
Now, this is not a financial message, although we could talk about living within our means. How many of you have heard that phrase before? We should all live within our means. Obviously, I make this amount of money as an income, and so I want to make sure that I don't live beyond that. I don't want to just live on credit, right? I I want to be careful about those things or buying a house that is too large for me or buying more than I need or, or going into debt in certain ways. That's not what the message is. We do say living within our means is a biblical concept, and yes, it is. But I'm going to use the message today and this story today, stay with me, to teach us all that we should be living in some cases beyond our means. Let me make two statements this morning. Number one, responsibilities sometimes are beyond our resources. Let me say it again. Responsibilities are often beyond our resources. Would we agree that this lady, this widow's responsibility is now to take care of her two boys? Would we agree with that? The husband is gone, right? The daddy is is not there. And so it falls to this lady, this widow woman, and she does have a responsibility, but she has no resources to take care of the responsibility. Have you ever been there in life? Have you ever had a bill you had to pay and you didn't know where it was going to come from? Have you ever had something asked of you in the workplace or something asked of you in in some, uh, maybe in some spiritual realm? We're going to talk a lot about the spiritual realm this morning. But there's a responsibility that has been laid upon you, but it seems to be beyond your resources. The second statement I want to make is sometimes there is an accountability beyond our ability. I am accountable to someone or something or some uh, uh, situation, and it, it seems as if it's beyond my ability to take care of it. And can I just stop and say, everybody, everybody listen to me now, sometimes this is the safest, most wonderful place to be in the Christian life. Not because it's, it's uh, uh, without uh, uh, issue, not because it doesn't scare us some, uh, not because it doesn't bring some anxiety and, and thought about what's going to happen, but because it brings us to our knees to ask God, how and why am I supposed to, to what, what, or how and what am I supposed to do in this, this situation of life? And so in many cases, we really should be living beyond our means. Again, we're not talking about financially per se, but I want to use this illustration to say that God sometimes brings the responsibility and the accountability to us to realize that our resources and our ability is nothing without the touch of God. So living beyond your means. Let me make this statement. In Christianity, more is always required of you than you are able to do. More is always required of us than we are able to do. If you've been in ministry work at any time at all, and I'm not talking about full-time ministry like me as a pastor or like these men. I'm just talking about serving the Lord. Many of you, I'm looking out and seeing faces. Some of you have been here for decades and decades. You, you serve the Lord faithfully, and you've taught Sunday school and, and uh, bus ministry and soul winning, and you're rearing your kids for the Lord. And, and, and all of that, sometimes we think, Boy, Christianity is just, it's a tough life. It seems like so much is asked of me. So much is demanded of me. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse number 1 and 2, it, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. How many of you know we're all to be stewards of what God has given us, whether that's our money, whether that's our time, our talent, our treasure? And so God says, sometimes I want you to realize That I'm asking you to go beyond. I'm asking you to live beyond. I'm I'm placing upon you a responsibility. I'm I'm, I'm I'm placing upon you uh, some, we might even call it a burden. 
and I'm thinking so many things in my mind right now. Do you know that often in the, in the prophets, uh, Amos and, and Obadiah, often they talked about what God had asked them to do. They, re, they re, uh, uh, referred to it as a burden, the burden that the Lord has put upon me. Uh, Paul talked about the care of all the churches. Hey, listen to me. In Christianity, friends, often things are going to be asked of us that are beyond our ability. And when I say our ability, I'm talking about our human ability. I'm talking about our flesh. I'm talking about what we can do without God. In fact, John 15 reminds us where Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. We're a big fat zero with the ring rubbed out, Dr. Wendell Evans used to say years ago. I'm just saying we're nothing without God. Wait a minute. But sometimes I'm asked to do something that is beyond my ability. I'm I'm required to be faithful in some area that I just don't understand. Let me give you a few examples about that. How about Moses? God says to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to march in there. And I want you to say, let my people go. And Moses said, I'm not making fun of stuttering. That's what Moses said. I have a stammering tongue. How am I supposed? How many of y'all know the story I'm telling you is true? And he said, I'm supposed to go to Pharaoh and speak? I can't do that. And so when he realized he could not do it, God always comes through and he, he sends Aaron as a brother to be his mouthpiece. Now, I've got a brother that's five, six years younger than me. I would not allow him to speak for me in any situation of life. I know y'all haven't met my brother. How many of you have a brother that you would not allow to be your spokesperson either? Right? That's a whole other message, right? But here's what God said. Moses, you can't do it alone, but I'll do it with you. Do you know there's a verse where the Bible says, open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. Brother Rusty, that's what we as preachers always have to do. Sometimes I don't know what to say. And, and y'all saying for nine years, you got up here and didn't say a thing. I know I can attest, right? Please don't say amen right there. All right. But a preacher is supposed to talk for a living. You're supposed to have answers. You're, you're, I'm teaching pastoral counseling right now to young preacher boys. And, and I said, guys, the, uh, one of the most discouraging things is going to be you're going to come with someone that has a great a question and you have absolutely no idea what the answer is. And that's when we have to dig deep in the word. And that's when we get to our knees. And that's when we ask God for wisdom. Why? Because God often asks you to live beyond your means. How about Gideon? Judges chapter number six, Gideon is hiding from the Midianites, the, uh, the uh, enemies of God. And uh, he's down in the, the uh, threshing, uh, the uh, wheat uh, threshing place uh, by night in the wine press. And he's hiding and, and he's hopeful that, uh, that the uh, Midianites are not going to come and going to kill him. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Gideon, I want to use you to be the captain of the nation of Israel to go and fight so that these enemies can be taken care of. And Gideon looks around and says, me? You ever felt like that? God asked you to do something. You're like, surely, God, you have come to the wrong address, right? You got the wrong guy. But when God comes to you and says, this is what I want you to do. Here's a responsibility that I'm laying upon you. Often that responsibility will cause you to live beyond your means. I'm thinking about the disciples and the feeding of the 5,000. You know the story. One little lad has five loaves and two fishes, right? And there's at least 5,000 people. There may be more because the Bible says there are 5,000 men. There probably were women and children. Some scholars say it could have been 15,000 people there. 
Do you remember the Bible says that Philip came up and, and he says, Jesus, this is, I know you told us to feed all these people, but this is way beyond my ability to do this. All we have are five loaves and two fishes. He even makes the statement, and I wrote it down here. He said, even if we had 200 penny worth, it would not be enough to feed this whole crowd. And you know what the story is, right? How Jesus said, just give it to me. Let me have your lunch. And he started dividing amongst, you remember the story, all of those people got fed by that five loaves and two fishes when they came to the end of their resources and Jesus touched it. Hey, this morning, have you come to the end of your resources? Have you come to the end of what you think is enough faith? Have you come to the end of, God, where are we going to go now? Maybe some of you a year ago thought, Pastor, uh, you're leaving again. We're going through another pastoral transition. Is this really going to help or hurt uh, the the cause of Christ in this church? And, and, And I just don't understand it. Hey, let God get involved when you don't understand. Because sometimes he wants us to live beyond our means. He wants us to look at what we have and realize it is not enough. Until he touches it. I began to think about the 11 men that stood as Jesus ascended back into heaven at the end of the Gospels. It's what we call the Great Commission. He says, look, you men, you 11 men right here. I want you to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. All the world. They didn't have television. They didn't have radio. They didn't have internet. They were much better off probably in those days. Amen. Uh, They didn't have Facebook and Instagram and all the rest. And I'm not against all of that. But my, my point is... They were looking around 2,000 years ago and they said, how are we supposed to do that? May I remind you that in the power of God on the day of Pentecost, especially 3,000 people got saved all in one day, added to the church. And it was said a little bit later in Acts that these are they that have turned the world upside down. Not because of what they did, but because of the power of God that they used. You see, when I look at the Great Commission... I think, how are we still supposed, with all the technology that we have, how are we supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel? I'll tell you why we're not getting it done. It's because everyone is not doing their part. Let's just stop right there. If every Christian would do their part to, to witness and to give the gospel and to share the gospel and to win someone to Christ, maybe this world could come back to God. Maybe America could have revival. But it's not going to be because of what we do. It's going to be because we give God what we have and he does the rest in the power of the gospel. You know, the Christian life is a Christian life that is asked to be lived in faith. To love your enemy. Well, that's, that's hard, isn't it? Do you have an enemy this morning? Don't raise your hand, please. Especially if that enemy is your spouse seated beside you, all right? <laughs> and the Bible says, don't just put up with him. Don't, don't, just, don't just love him. Does that seem like a hard command? So we're going to love, we're gonna have to live beyond, we're going to have to love beyond our means, aren't we? Uh, the Christian life is what we often call the second mile Christian life, right? Uh, turn the other cheek. You get hit on one, turn the other cheek so uh, he can take a, a jab at the other one. Uh, he asks you to go one mile, uh, go two with him, right? He takes your coat, give him your cloak also. A- am I preaching Bible this morning? Is that not what Jesus said to do? That's really hard for me. How about you? So sometimes we have to start living beyond our means. In fact, it may be very difficult to live this kind of Christian life. In fact, I think it is. The, diff- the Christian life is, is simple, but I didn't say it's not difficult. Sure it is. It's simple. simple means I, I just have to obey. And we're going to see that in the text in just a moment. What's this widow woman going to do with what she has been given? 
What is it that God is asking her to do through the prophet Elisha? Well, let's get to the text here because uh, we're not going to get done with the sermon. And again, the clock is not up there. That's the same thing that happened. It must be me. Uh, How many remember last time I was here, the clock didn't work either. So I'm just going to preach as long as I want. All right. And I will not even look up there any longer. Let's go to verse number one. Would you please? If you're a note taker, I'm going to give you some phrases here. Here are some lessons or some observations about living beyond your means. Why would God put this widow woman in this situation? And why would God do in our lives or in our church life some things that causes us to have to live beyond our means? Number one, here's my point. Our children need exposure to spiritual experiences. Sometimes God wants you to show your kids how you're going to trust in the Lord. Can I show that to you? Look at verse number one, please. The Bible says that this man of the sons of the prophets says unto Elisha, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. But watch this. Here's the problem. And the creditor is come to take unto him my, next two words, church, two sons. She, she says, here's my concern. It's not so, how many of you mamas would agree with this? It's not, you don't care. Mamas don't care. Mamas will do whatever they need to do. They always put themselves last. They always make sure the kids have what they need. That's just what moms do. Now, dads, that's a whole nother story. Amen? (laughs) I'm just teasing, of course. But but as parents, our kids come first, right? We we, we want to provide what they need. And, And she says, but my two sons are here. God, why would you allow this to happen to me? But not just me. Why would you let this happen to my two boys? Look at verse 4, please. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons. Did you see that? And upon thy sons. Look at verse number 5. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon, talk to me church, her sons. Everybody look at me. Here's point number 1. Sometimes God puts us in positions and in places of life that are difficult and things that I don't understand because he wants us to teach our children spiritual experiences. I'm asking you this morning and looking back over your years, especially if you've maybe got teenage children or maybe even young adult children, and you think back in times of life when it was rough and tough and you realize this is a great life lesson that we can learn now as a family. I'll never forget back in 2012 when you were asking me to come be your pastor. And I remember we didn't share it with anybody in this world except our two daughters. You know why? They're in this with us. I wanted them to watch God work. If God was going to shut a door, I wanted them to see it. If God was going to blow a door open, I wanted them to see it. Why? Because they were 18 or uh, uh, 20 and 18. They were getting ready to get married and go off to Bible college, uh, you know, respectively. I wanted my girls to see that God is a God that doesn't leave you hanging. Amen. That when he puts you sometimes over the precipice, seemingly, that God in his everlasting arms are always going to be there to catch you and always be there to watch over you. There are things in our lives, folks, that our children need exposure to spiritual experiences. Now, look, these boys had a definite interest in whether God was going to come through or not, right? Because if these boys don't have, get, if mom doesn't get any money, we don't get any food. And everyone knows how, many, how much food teenage boys eat. Amen. Uh, Trinity, can you say amen to that? We all know. Amen. Been feeding those Williams boys. Now watch. These boys had a vested interest in whether God was going to come through or not. But watch. But they had to exercise faith that was maybe not even their own. 
want you, I want you to listen to me. Sometimes our children are going to have to learn to live on our faith first before they learn the matured, spiritual maturity of living on their own faith. And I understand with their children, we don't necessarily expect them, although the faith of a little child is pretty strong. Would you agree with me about that? You see, sometimes God puts us in situations to expose our kids to spiritual work. Our kids need to see God at work. Our kids need to see God answer prayer. When I wrote this down, I began to think just personally in my life. I remember when I was eight, my father came home after being at a uh, service, a preaching service. It was a, it was a weeknight, uh, actually a tour group, what we now call tour groups, years and years ago uh, from uh, Liberty Baptist College in Lynchburg, Virginia. This was the, the middle 70s, 75, 76, Dr. Jerry Falwell, and, and groups were going out to churches, just like we have groups in from different Bible colleges, and, and uh, my dad surrendered to preach that night. My dad was 30 years of age. My dad had a 12-year military career already in place, had three little children, a wife and three kids, first little house bought. Seems like things are just going well for us, and now dad is going to surrender to the ministry and go to Bible college. I remember as an eight-year-old kid what God, what dad, what God did in dad's life. I remember uh, moving, that moving truck, and, 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 and selling a lot of our belongings, and, and selling that house, and going to Lynchburg, Virginia, and my dad going to college for two years. I remember after that, my dad started a brand new church down in Winfield, West Virginia. I mean, he started it from nothing. He didn't go on deputation. Now, we, we kind of, we got a little smarter now these days how to kind of do this, you know. It was just, God's called me here. I'm just going to go work a job and I'm just going to go plant a church. I remember those two years, how tough and difficult those days were. I remember watching my dad go out at night cleaning, uh, I don't know if I've ever told this story here, cleaning telephone uh, change, uh, uh, transfer stations. Just these little buildings by the edge of the road. Now, now we, don't, we don't even need telephone wires any longer, right? Y'all remember when the phones used to be hanging on the wall instead of carried around with you all the time? How do you remember that? Yeah. But he would clean those, those transfer stations all through the night so that he could then build that church. And I've watched my dad pastor for all these years, and I've seen my dad go through some very difficult, difficult seasons. But I've always watched a dad, now that he's 75 and still living by faith, I've always watched a dad that was teaching me how to live by faith. But see, there came a time in my life I had to live on my own faith as well. I went off to Bible college, and I don't have time to tell you all the stories that I wrote down on my illustrations here, but how God answered prayers. In fact, my dad one time wrote me a letter, and he said, Son, he said, I'm not in the financial condition to help you during your college years. Maybe some other dads are able to do that. It's really all on you. But then my dad went on to write me page after page of verse, 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 verse about living by faith. And he says, son, this is, it's now time for you to learn this. Now, how many say, now some of you are saying, that mean old dad. Why didn't he go take out a loan? Why didn't he make you get a student loan? Make it easy? No, no, those were life lessons, my friend, that made me depend on God for the rest of my life and my marriage. And then lessons for me to teach my own children. Why? Because our children need exposure to spiritual experiences. What I saw God do solidified what I'd read he would do. So as, as my Bible was opened up to me and as I began to learn and memorize and, and, and verses about faith and verses about God taking care of me and, and God being my heavenly father and that he, he, he looks at the sparrows and takes care of them and if he can take care of the sparrows, surely he can take care of me. Though, watch, our kids need to see those aren't just words on a page. They are the realities of life that God is ready, really, and willing to take care of you. 
Now, some of you are saying, I don't know. That sounds awful difficult. Yeah, I told you that at the beginning of the sermon. It is difficult. Sometimes living beyond your means is the most difficult thing you'll ever do. Following the will of God and trusting him in the process. I believe every parent should tell their children often what God is doing in their life. And then it would ask me to ask you the question, is he doing anything in your life? Have you even acknowledged it? Parents, listen to me before I go to the next point. Is God shaking you up? Is God working on you? Is God doing something in your life just maybe for the sake of your children to see God work? So that you can show him in their eyes that he can be trusted. And can I just go on record to say, he can be trusted. He can be trusted. God can, look, you can trust him with your health. God can tr- you can trust him with your retirement funds. You say, preacher, but have you not seen the stock market? My faith is not in the stock market, my friends. My faith is in the God that said he would take care of me. It's not in these things of the world, but rather that our trust is in the Lord and we pass that trust down to our children. Here's the second point that I get from the passage here. Number two, and I used a couple of these words earlier on in the, in the uh, introduction. Number two, if you're taking notes, our responsibility, not our resources, determine our assignment. Our responsibility, not our resources, determine our assignment. All right, let's, let's, let's go through the story here. What, what was the issue? Number one, the creditor must be paid, right? That was her responsibility. Would you agree with me? He, he died and left a debt that had to be satisfied. Do you understand that in the story? Is that her, was that her responsibility, yes or no? All right, is everybody with me? So the creditor had to be paid. Wait a minute. What are the resources? She says, there's nothing in the house except this pot of oil. Remember that in the story? There's, the only thing I have worth anything of any value is this one pot of oil. So she had a responsibility. She had limited resources. What is her assignment? Would you look with me, please? Let's go back to the text here so you can see it. Notice, if you don't, if you don't mind, please, to go to verse number three. Then he said, here's, here's Elisha's answer to her. Go, borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even, would you read the next two words, church? Empty vessels. Let me ask you a question. What good are empty vessels? Why could she rather not be like Ethel of I Love Lucy going next door to get the cup of sugar and ask for sugar? Why ask for an empty vessel? Is everybody with me this morning? Do you see how I wove I Love Lucy into the Bible text this morning? That was, that was just, that was really odd, wasn't it? So in the book of Lucy, chapter number three... <laughs> But, we, but you're picturing that right now, aren't you? You're picturing her. She didn't even knock on the door. Amen. I don't want people walking into my house unannounced, right? But they did that all the time. I need a cup of sugar. Wait a minute. In this situation, she was not told to go ask for oil. She was told to ask for an empty vessel. You ever thought about that? Look, everybody look at me. This was not a handout. This was not... Uh, go beg. This was, I want you to go because God is about to do something that is going to knock your socks off. Anybody ever had something that knocked your socks off before? Amen. I got, uh, oh, mine are still on. I guess I need some more faith experiences in life, right? 
What good are empty vessels? I'll tell you what good are empty vessels. It's where faith comes in. It's, it's where God was going to put something into those empty vessels that was beyond her ability. Wait a minute. She, may, she maybe could have become a, a, a good crier. All you women are good criers, right? And you can get anything when you turn the tears on, right? He didn't say, go next door and just play the pity party card. Woe is me. And I'm not, I'm not against helping our brothers and, and that. But in the story, he said, go get an empty vessel. In fact, then he said, borrow not a few. Don't just get one. Get as many empty vessels as possible. Hmm. You see, because she understood the responsibility and her resources, watch, was not determined, those things did not determine what her assignment or her obedience to the assignment was going to be. So the assignment was go borrow empty vessels. You see, you must be empty before you can be filled. Hey, before you can save, you got to be lost, right? Uh, before you can, can trust God, you got to have a need. You understand that? Hey, he gave us the comforter. You know why the comforter was given? Because there's going to be times in our life we need comfort. You see, God puts us in spots in our life where he says, now go get an empty vessel and let me fill it. Let me fill. Is anybody here this morning, unless you start saying amen, we cannot get done with this message. God wants to put you in some spots where you've got to live beyond your ability, where God comes in and says, okay, now, Lord, i got all these empty vessels here. What are you going to do with them? You see, I serve God because it's my responsibility to serve God. I come to church faithfully because that is what God's asked me to do. Just like he asked that lady to go get empty vessels, and she did that. God wants you to be a witness. God wants you to be a tither of all the, of your increase. God wants you to rear your children, the nurture, and the admonition of the Lord. These are all big things that we cannot do without his power. And he says, so get a bunch of empty vessels and watch what I'm going to do with them. Number three, it leads me to this point. With those empty vessels, then, I must start with what I have. I must start with what I do have. Would you go back to verse number two with me, please? What is it that she did have in the house? Would you look at the very last phrase of verse number two? It starts with the word save. Let's read that phrase. Ready? Ready? Save a pot of oil. He said, what's in your house? Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save or except a pot of oil. You see, listen to me, please. I, I said this is not a handout thing, right? This is not God just asking you to be a good beggar. He says, now, I want you, after all those empty vessels have been, have been collected, and the Bible doesn't tell us how many. He said, not a few. So, so were they dozens? They go get a hundred? I don't know. But what I, did know was, what I do know is they're empty. And so there's this one pot that was already in the house that she already owned, right? It was already a part of her resource, now, she, look, every look at, she looked at it and said, but we can't live very long on this. God says, I know. But I want you to start with what you have. Christian, do you know the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3 that God has given to every man, listen to this statement, a measure of faith. Would you say that phrase with me? A measure of faith. How much faith does it take to get saved? Very little. Just believe, right? Just, just believe. Just put your faith in Christ. 
The faith of a child doesn't seem like it's a lot. And he says, wait a minute, but I want you to exercise what I put within you first. Christian, God's put a lot of stuff in all of our lives here. All of our lives, God's been placing things in there for these exact moments. You may look and say, all I've got is a pot of oil this morning. And so God says, okay, you've come to the end of your resources. What are we going to now do with that pot of oil? Every Christian, you can do something for God in some capacity. You can take what you have been given and allow God to make it more. Here's the fourth observation. I'm just trying to hurry to finish these thoughts here. We need a project bigger than we are. Sometimes in our life, why does God ask us to live beyond our means? Because we need a project bigger than we are. Her living, her substance, substance and subsistence, how she was going to take care of her children, all of this now was dependent seemingly on this one little pot of oil. And so that's why I believe he says, borrow not a few. I wonder, wonder, let's see, we can read the whole story and we look back with 2020 vision. Now watch this. What if her faith only allowed her to go get one other pot? Would she be able to have lived the rest of her life on one other pot? No, I don't think so. That's why I said, you go and borrow not a few. Borrow as many as possible. You see, because the job is often, the project is often bigger than we are. Living beyond our means causes us to reach out for the potential that God wants to have in our lives. I've seen that happen in my life over the years and over the ministry, and I will not take time to reiterate all of this. And some of these stories I've told you, and some I probably haven't, but, you know, from the little kid to being called to preach, to going off to Bible college, to going to our first ministry, and then going to my first pastorate, and 35 little people, and half a uh, 50% paycheck, pay, paycheck cut, and, and all of these, and then coming here to be your pastor 10 years ago, and, and then God, a year ago, asking me to go, and by faith, you know what, I'm, I didn't go to take another church where there's a salary, it's totally by faith, God just led us, this is what I'm supposed to do now. I'm traveling all over the country and the eastern seaboard and God's taking me everywhere and doing all of these things. Why? Because sometimes we need a project that is bigger than we are. That's why. I don't want you, Christian, and you're not called maybe into the ministry to do what God's asked me to do. But God's asked you to do something big. You say, well, all I do is sit on a pew. I promise you it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. If you've got kids, it's bigger than that. That is your ministry and those children and training them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and winning someone to Christ and discipling someone and being a part of this local church. You say, all i got is this one pot. And he says, wait a minute, I'm about to give you way more than you ever thought you could have if you would just live beyond your means. Because we all need something bigger than we can do on our own. A project bigger than we are. Someone said the status quo will only bring stagnation. Some of you just, you just, you just want to keep it all the same. You just, just status quo, status quo, status quo. No, 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 no. Status quo will make you soured. It'll make you stagnant. Look, a pond water that has no inflow or outflow gets, gets full of, of nastiness and, 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 and dirty film on the top and all of that. Why? Because we all need something for that to flow to, through and to. Number five, quickly, it will help us develop instant obedience. Living beyond our means will help us 
to develop instant obedience. Look at verse 5 with me, church. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her. And watch this. She poured out. Here was the story. He said, take that one pot of oil that was already a part of your resources. Now you have all these empty vessels start pouring. Can you imagine? It's almost like the five loaves and two fishes, right? So she pours and she pours and she pours and she pours and it gets full. And she looks in there and there's still more oil. Is everybody with me? There's still more oil. So she goes to number two and she pours and pours and pours and pours and it gets full and there's still more oil. Is that not a God thing? Come on now. Is that not a God thing? Do we believe this happened like God says it did? Every word in our Bible is true, right? God was doing a miracle for this lady because she instantly obeyed. She didn't, she didn't question it. She didn't argue with God. Oh, I know. None of us ever argue with God, right? Oh, we all argue with God about daily, right? God, you really want me to do that? God, are you sure that's what we want to do? God, do you, now should you think about this just a little while? God has lived in eternity. He doesn't need to think about it for a while. He already knows what is best for your life. All you got to do is obey. Hey, if you need to be saved this morning, again, I don't know you and some of you are brand new and I don't know your faces and I don't know whether you're saved or not. Can I just say to you, please, if today is the day that God has talked to you and touched you in your heart about getting saved and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you may say, well, I just don't know that whole Christian life thing and that whole thing. Take that measure of faith, exercise it today, simply obey, receive him as Savior, and I promise you, you'll be on the biggest journey that your life has ever gone on as you follow the Lord, can I say this way, all the way to heaven. Because you trusted Christ. You started somewhere. Instantly received by faith. Your salvation is like that. Our sanctification and our service likewise are like that. It will help us develop instant obedience. Lastly, and I'm done. You get more out of it. Why why are we to live beyond our means? Because you get more out of it than you went seeking. You get more out of it than you went seeking. Look at verse number 7 as we close. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, now here, here, here's the real answer that's going to get her, her living. Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt. Now watch this. In fact, read with me. Ready? And live thou and thy children of the rest. May I remind you of the five loaves and two fishes story again? Do you remember that even after they finished feeding thousands of people, was there still leftovers? How many baskets? Talk to me, church. Twelve baskets full. Don't tell me we don't serve a mighty God, friends. You say, well, that was in the New Testament age, or that was just Old Testament. No, he may not do it like that any longer, but I promise you there are miracles that are happening every day in all of our lives that we cannot explain except it's just my God. My God did that for me. My God provided that for me. My God came through for me. My God was strong on my behalf in that area. Watch. Why should we live beyond our means? Because you always get more out of it than you went seeking. God always blesses obedience. The Bible says in James, let him ask for wisdom and God will give to all men liberally. Malachi 3 and 10, he says, look, if you tithe and you give of your offerings, he said, will I not pour you out blessings that you I will open the windows of heaven that you cannot even receive them. In Luke 6 and verse 38, I, I, again, attached to giving, pressed down, shaken together, running over, uh, will men give into your bosoms? I'm just saying to you, and one last verse, let me read it as I've got it marked here. Romans 8 and verse number 32. 
He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Anything that you need, I didn't say you want anything you need, God is well able to take care of you. But it's got to start somewhere. It's got to start with our deficiency. It's got to start with our inefficiency. Lord, I, I just don't know why. You've asked me to do this, and I'm supposed to live beyond my means, and I just don't know how I'm going to do that. And God says, okay, let's start with what you got. You got one little pot of oil. Now, you go get some empty vessels, because I'm about to do a miracle. You bring those empty vessels back, and you start pouring. You see, some, some of you, you you're, you're afraid. Watch this. You're afraid to start that first pour because you say, what if it gets to the end and I'm done? Right? What, what if I pour and it's all gone and now I, I still only have, I got one other empty and one full now. That's what I started with. Anybody with me? Can you see the logic? Can you see how she could say, I don't think this is going to happen. You ever been in life where you said, I'm just not sure how this is going to happen. And God says, just trust me. Just pour the oil. Maybe that, that could be the title of that. Just, just pour the oil. Just pour. Just pour. Because the more you pour, the more God gives. Isn't that what he does with giving? You got to give. And he says, I'll give back to you. But you got to give first. Give and it shall be given unto you. Come on now. For where your heart is, uh, where your uh, treasure is, your heart will be also. Oh, I want my heart to be for missions. Well, then give to, to it. Because the Bible says your heart will never follow what you don't first give to. Come on, if your heart's not here, you give first, your heart follows. That is a Bible principle. You've got to start with what you have. Living beyond your means. Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I've preached too long, I'm sorry. But I'm leaving this week, so it's all good. You don't have to put up with me much longer. I'm just saying this morning, this was the message God laid on my heart. Because can I be real honest with you? Because God's asked me in this new season of my life to do more than I'm able. <laughs> I, I don't know what all the doors God's going to open. And I can't do it in my own resources. Oh, you say, oh, pastor, you're, you're, you're a good preacher. You're a good this or that. No, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm nothing. Like, just like all of us, we're nothings. And God sometimes brings us to a place in our life where he says, okay, you going to let me intervene or not? Just pour the oil. Today, how many of you, in some way, form, or fashion, something spoke to your heart about your life that you just need to take that pot you have and start doing something with it to watch God multiply it? Who's like that? You're just you're a lift of a hand. Lord, there's just something right now. I don't know what it is. Thank you. Let me put it down. If you're not saved this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, as soon as that first note, I mean, as soon as that first note, in just a moment, would you come? We have assistant pastors up here with Bibles. That will show you how to be saved. That's where it's got to start. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you never will be able to experience the great blessings of your Heavenly Father. Because you're not in His family yet. You have to be born again. Something's got to happen to that sin. That debt we all owe. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. Maybe this morning you come to get saved. Maybe someone needs to come to get baptized this morning. That's the first step of obedience. You've been saved, but you've not been baptized. And you wonder why God's not opening up other doors, take the first step. Baptism is the first step. Maybe church membership this morning. You're saved, you're baptized. I think there's maybe one family that's supposed to join today and, and thank God for the church growing and continuing. 
Let's do what God wants us to do in this invitation. Father, bless please as only you can. We give the invitation now to you. Holy Spirit of God, move amongst us. Please move all of us to live beyond our means, I pray. In Jesus' name. The invitation is